Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. <laughs> and today's guest we've got Tom Yuri, actor, musician, man of many talents. Tom's appeared on uh, hat films, Train Spotting. Two. Two. Train Spotting Two. Mm-hmm. Also been a major part in River City. Aye. Still game, we know still game is Martin. Uh-huh. The snowballs. Aye. Uh, thanks for coming on, mate. You're alright, mate. And first I'm of all, I just want to say you're looking absolutely amazing. Thanks. I'm looking boofing, James, and I'll tell you for why, because I'm growing a beard. Because I'm playing an ancient Greek in a couple of weeks in a thing, and uh, I don't think the ancient Greeks had Mac threes, so uh, <laughs> I'm having to rough up a wee bit. So I do look like Jackie. No, I think you're looking brilliant because you've lost now twenty stones. No, I love how you're rounding that up. Twenty stones, I love people. How you're rounding that up. Nineteen ish. Nineteen. Uh-huh. A wee bit over nineteen, but twenty's uh, fine for me if you want to. If you want to bump it up, that that's me. That is unbelievable. Aye. Unbelievable. So massive respect, and I think you're looking fantastic. That's me. Because I told everybody that you were coming on, you had so much love, man. From so much love, you eh? did so much so love. Much love. I was getting jealous. Are you? Aye. Ah, man. All the grannies love me. <laughs> they they can the love grannies. me as well. I don't care. Aye. So we're gonna just talk about your life, or how the acting. So where did the acting start? Do you know I didn't really start acting until I was. In my early thirties, really, um, and it was—I had done a bit of acting before, but uh, my friend Karen Dunbar uh, went for a an open audition with the comedy unit mm-hmm. because you know, they were making Rapsy Nesbit and and all that kind of stuff, and they were having open auditions, and she went uh, she she went dressed as a cleaner and uh, went into the audition and started cleaning their desk and making them lift their feet and everything. They, get, they, they loved her immediately because she's brilliant. And uh, she got into Chewing the Fat because uh, Chewing the Fat was originally a radio series. So they needed a, a, a woman to, to, along with Ford and Greg. So she went into that, did a few radio shows and then it got commissioned for the telly. And uh, after a couple of series of Chewing the Fat, it really took off. 
and you know you're walking down the street and everybody was shouting going to no data at mm-hmm. them it was like Beatlemania for them for a wee while so they wanted to do a live show and uh, they did a live version of Chew in the Fat at the Citizens Theatre first of all and then it went to the Kings and they wanted a, a, a panto ending you know bring down the clue the sing song the song sheet uh-huh. And uh, they had, the Jack and Victor characters used to sing uh, songs like Her Majesty's Home for the Blind <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they wanted to do that, so they needed somebody to play piano. So Karen Dunbar said, my pal Tom plays the piano and he's a good laugh, why don't you get him in? So I went in and uh, they did this big sketch at the end where Jack and Victor are going into the pub for a sing song and uh, there's an old lady playing the piano that put me in a frock and a wig so I think I was probably the first ever incarnation of Isa <laughs> so I was sitting playing the piano and uh, so in that show they got uh, they got me in to do a couple of other lines and bits and bobs through that live show and then after that uh, for series 3 and 4 or 2 and the fact they got me in on the TV show as well just if they needed an extra guy for any sketches so I was in Ronald Villiers sketches, the one with the uh, the one the quick fit advert one. Uh, that was the first thing I ever filmed, um, where Ronald Villiers has got a part in a a quick fit advert, and he can't say it's nifty fit, and he can't say it, he says Fintyton. Uh, <laughs> so that was my first thing. But they got me involved. So through that, I got involved with the, the comedy unit that made that made the program. So I ended up doing only the excuse with Jonathan Watson, and then I did a radio show with him, and then uh, the comedy unit became my agent. So uh, they were putting me up for parts and other stuff. So that's how I get involved through through, your pa- through my pal saying my pal can do that for playing the piano. Aye, and that's how you because you've had a good career. I you've had a great career. Aye, all aye. the stuff you've been on is all the biggest stuff. It's on Scottish telly. I have gate crashed everything. That's the aye, best way. I've done it for years. They don't even ask me. I just turn up and say, "Can I be in this?" And they go, "Hi, we'll shut you up." <laughs> how has it been on train spotting? That was amazing. That was really, really amazing. You and McGregor. Um, aye. It was uh, filmed in the Orb in Bells Hill on the hottest day of the year. Um, and they had to put big black sheets over the windows to make it look like nighttime. So the place was boiling hot. There was 200 extras there. And uh, it was like a sauna. So they had to hire in these industrial um, air conditioning units. And... Uh, it was two days of just sweltering heat, but what a laugh, what an absolute laugh. Uh, Danny uh, Danny Boyle, the director, is such a, such a nice guy. Is he? By the end of the two days, he knew everybody's name. There was 200 mm-hmm. folk there, just knew everybody's name. Really nice, really good fun. And uh, I mean, have you seen, have you seen Trainspot? Seen you? Seen, you know the scene I'm talking aye, about? Aye. Uh-huh. It's hysterically funny, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know anything about Catholics and Protestants and, and football and all that. I, I just, I'm thick about it. I don't understand. I was never brought up in a religious house. We were never, neither Catholics nor Protestants. I don't get it. I don't understand, right? So the, I got the part of this uh, bouncer in an, an orange lodge, really, right? So <laughs> they, put, they gave me all these temporary tattoos, but they were movie temporary tattoos. So they took two hours to go on and two hours to take off. Mm-hmm. So I had um, 1690 in my neck there. I had, and people had to explain to me what that meant, uh, right? Because I'm not the brightest. <laughs> and I had the red hand of Ulster somewhere, and I had King Billy somewhere, right? And oh, right. So I didn't, I, I went, all oh, right, these look nice, you know, no idea what they were. And there were a few people at the filming who were from that background, and they were like, I like your tattoos. <laughs> when, when'd you get that big one? Oh, right, right. And I'm like, I'm just a stupid actor. I don't know. 
So uh, it got to the end of the first day and I had developed a really bad cough during that day because it was so hot. But they said to me, uh, you're not called till 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Can you do us a favour and just go to the doctors and get checked out just for our insurance? Just go and get checked out in case it's an infection or something. So I phoned my doctors and they said, yeah, come in at nine, we'll see you. And uh, I forgot that I still had the tattoos on. I forgot I still had these temporary tattoos because it was going to take two hours to take them off and put them back on again. So sitting in the doctor's waiting room and everybody was looking at me, <laughs> staring at me, and I'm like that. And I went into my doctor's with my GPs and I've known her for 20 years and she just looked at me like, what have you done? I've changed your life. What are you talking about? And she went, why have you got 1690? And you're like, oh, no. You haven't your neck in that as well. Right there. If you look at train spot two and freeze room, that's where, and, and there was one in the back of my neck. And I was just like, oh, well, I'm empty. How was it? Was it good then? You, did you go to the red carpet? No, ah, no, bastards, I bastards. No, I didn't, I didn't, and uh, but I did go to the. Uh, they had two premieres, so they had. Mm-hmm. There was see, it was so secretive, right? That um, nobody knew if they were still in the final cut. Mm-hmm. So we were filmed. We knew that he'd filmed loads of extra stuff that wasn't going to make it. That would maybe be in the DVD special features, and that had happened to me before. I, did, I had a role in Legend, the Tom Hardy film, and it was cut. Um, before the film went out, so I was like, I'm never going to get excited about being in something oh, again in case, in case they cut it. In case they cut it. So, uh, we're train spotting to, I was like, I don't, don't know if I'm even going to be in this. You know, I might just be, you know. So, I got the invite through to go to the premiere, but it wasn't the big posh uh, premiere London. in the morning in Edinburgh. It was the, it was called the cast and crew premiere in Glasgow at tea time on the Sunday. So, I knew that all the media and everything were going to the morning premiere in Edinburgh, so I thought, well, if I'm in it, I'll soon find out because we'd had to sign, had to sign a thing to say that we we wouldn't talk about being in the film. So nobody knew I was in it. Not a soul knew I was in it. I think a couple of my mates had told, but nobody else, and obviously my doctor, mm-hmm. the tattoos. <laughs> um, so round about one o'clock on the Sunday afternoon, my phone started going, and it was people like Bev. Ah, yeah, Do you know what I mean? Shout like, out to Bev. Where did you get a Bev? How did you? How did you not tell us you were uh. in? I'm like that. So I went right. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. So I met up with um, an actor called Atta Jakob, who's a pal of mine, and Simon Weir, who are both in the movie as well, to go to the the tea time premiere in Glasgow. And the three of us, none of us knew what we'd done in it. We said, right, let's not tell each other what we've done in this film, and it'll be a surprise. Simon wears up first and he's na- bollock naked, getting spanked. <laughs> Bobby and sitting in the roaring, howling, howling in the in the cinema. And then Atta gets punched in the face by Begbie. And then the scene, the, the 1690 scene came up and I just sat going, oh my God, right? And I watched it and I went, either I'm going to get pelters for this or people are going to love it. And thankfully folk loved, folk loved it, you know. That's good. And then, because I do a lot of piano bar gigs and stuff, and some some places are quite kind of you know yes, toffee, arty, yes, farty. Uh-huh. And occasionally you get somebody coming up going, "Can you sing the song from Train Spot and Two? And I'm like, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> "No, I can't. No, I can't." That's a legendary film that we've been, especially with Danny Boyle. Mm. What about River City? So, how long were you in River City? I was in River City for about five years. Um, I it was about five years. The last year I didn't do much mm-hmm. in it because I wasn't well, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I was in it for about five years, and that was an absolute joy from start to finish. Because I had a lot of messages yesterday of people wanting you back, missing you. Aye. Uh, yes. Aye. Oh, well, you never know. You Is never there know. a still opening for you to go back? Yeah, absolutely. Good. But, I mean, it's the thing about it is they uh, you can't just turn up at their door yeah, and say, I'm back. You need to wait to be asked, I suppose. 
Um, they know where I am. It, they do they do their storylines a year in advance. So if they were planning on bringing Big Bob back, they couldn't have just phone me up and go, going right. to come in next week. They'd right. need to factor it into the future. So uh, they might do, I don't know. I genuinely don't a know. A year in advance, is that right? Something like that. They, that they, they, don't, they don't write the scripts a year in advance, but they plan where the show's going. All right, for a year in advance. Because they film a few months in advance. I know they did, was that EastEnders and that Coronation Street Aye, the same? All the same. They film a few months in advance. So if they were thinking about bringing Bob, Big Bob back, they'd have taken a plan. And I think... When are Big Bob now? I know. Well, maybe about a year ago they were going. They maybe didn't know if I was going to do it or not. So mm-hmm. you can't, you can't plan that, and then suddenly I put twenty stone back on again. Mm-hmm. Which will not happen now, but could you know? Nobody really knew I was going to do this. So uh, I would love to go back because it's a great job and it's a great show. I still watch it. I'm still a fan. I'm still phoning my pals that I was in it, going. <gasps> Liz is dead! Oh my god! Are you still pals everybody that was on I, it then? It seems a good wee group of people. It's fantastic. They're the best. I mean. I, some, I, I, it doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. I mean, they churn out an hour's worth of television every week, which is massive. Mm-hmm. And the quality very rarely dips. You know, there's, sometimes I watch it and I go, this should be on network. This should be on the whole, the whole of Britain. I've got no, no idea not. why it's not. Um, but I no, it's a great it's a great place to work. And the best thing about working there was I got to work with people like Johnny Beatty and Una McLean, who played my mother. And Johnny Beatty worked with Lauren Hardy. And Una McLean came through the the 1950s Glasgow theatre circuit and everything, and they know the game, they know they know their craft. So you're learning off these people, you're learning off everybody you're working with. It's a great, great. What's the best project you've ever worked on? The best film, best anything, best actor as well. Eh, the best actor I've ever worked with. Oh my God, I don't want to say. I see it's upset, Tom. Who's it worse then? Oh man, um, <laughs> <laughs> I need to be careful. Um, do you know what? I loved uh, working with Ford and Greg and Karen. Uh, still game? Well, I would tune the fat mm-hmm. really, and, and still game, um, because it's that they reinvented Scottish comedy. I think mm-hmm. when they did that, mm-hmm. I, I, it was you could see the influences where it came from. And the the good thing about Ford and Greg is they they stick with you. So. Um, it's the same makeup artists, it's the same crew that were there in 1998, you know, it's a little family. So anytime they do something now, they still get me in to do the music. So the two big uh, Live at the Hydro shows, I did all the music for that. You know, they didn't, fo- they didn't phone and get one of their, you know, Hollywood pals, they, they got mm. me in. Not because I'm cheap, you know, who knows? <laughs> but um, they keep it as a family, and uh-huh. uh, I love what I don't know what with them every three or four years, but I love when we get back together and do something. And, and now it's not, I'm not on screen with them or acting with them, I'm, I'm composing and writing music for them, so I'm still part of the. the how come you're not in that game? I am, sort of. Behind the scenes. Uh, it's because you're not on the telly. But again, you've got so many talents because, again, there was people messaging us last night about your musician, you, you do singing, you play many instruments, do you play? Uh, I can get a tune out of most things, sorry. That, but I play piano, that's my main thing. So where did all that come from? <sighs> it's a funny story, James. It's a long story. That's alright, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. When I was a wee boy, a tiny wee boy, my first memory is music and my first memory is uh, my mum and dad had a Simon and Garfunkel tape and I just played it all the time. And there was one, when I started nursery school, the, the, the legend goes, and I've got a vague memory of this, the legend goes that uh, the nursery phoned my mum and dad and went, can you come down, but don't let them know you're coming, just sneak in and watch from the door, because I'd sat down at a xylophone and started playing songs. I was playing The Entertainer. Mm-hmm. I was four. Uh-huh. 
So they went, he's, he's musical, he's really musical. So their answer to that was to get me to play the violin, which was fucking brutal. <laughs> you know, and the, the lessons were on my Saturday morning when Swap Shop was on. I don't remember Swap Shop. All my pals were out and that. But uh, I, I desperately wanted to play the piano and I loved the Beatles as a kid as well. So um, in school, I would find a piano. I didn't have a piano at school. I would go and sit down and find a piano and just keep mm-hmm. playing and playing. So I taught myself how to play the piano. Could you play or were you just taught drink through memory? Play or just through? Well, maybe unless I was a pianist in a previous, previous life. Previous life? It can Who happen. Knows? Who knows? Did they say that can pass down for generations? I don't know. I don't know. Ancestors or whatever. But it was, I was able to just play it. So I, nobody showed me. I just kind of listened. And so I always play by ear. I can't read music, mm-hmm. so I'll play by ear. Is that right? Uh, aye. 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 So, uh, I didn't, and I can play the guitar a wee bit as well. Um, I'm glad you said you can play the guitar because I saw that. We've, no, we've never had this with any other guests. We've actually got a guitar, guitar, Steph. So, right, because I know right, you, I've been mean, so many messages that you can play tunes, you can play every instrument. I can Wait, play can, bits and bobs, aye. Bits and pieces, can you play for the. For the <laughs> <laughs> what can we. What kind of. What were we, we requesting, lads? Steph. And Beatles. Beatles. Oh, what was his favourite Beatles song? Oh, what about some guitar? Some of Blackbird. Nice. No Blackbird. Oh, let's get a Beatles but, tune. Um, some like, um. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. You were only waiting for this moment to rise It's been a while Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see All your life You were only waiting for this moment to be free Blackbird fly Blackbird fly into the light of a dull black night. Yeah! Hey! The Venga bus is coming and everybody's bumping New York to San Francisco. Now <laughs> we're talking. That's my kind of music. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Outstanding. Hey, was, was that a sad song? I was nearly fucking greeting there. Oh, James, mate. I'm feeling emotional there. Right. That was powerful. To cry away. <laughs> man. I can't. Yeah. I greet myself. <laughs> that was amazing. So all the instrument kind of stuff is kind of through. Do you think? Um, what reincarnation? Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I went. I ended up. Uh, I was never very good at school. Uh, the only thing I was ever good at at school was English, and, music, and, like, music and stuff. So uh, when I was about nineteen, I nineteen, I had left school and I was in the Dole in Paisley, um, and I didn't. You know, nobody knew what to do. My parents were kind of like, "What are we going to do?" And um, I went for a restart interview. Do you still get them? Restart, dull restart interviews. No, it's all job seekers. And, job seekers, uh, that yeah. kind of thing. Universal credit. And you know how sometimes you'll go in and, and sometimes you'll get Mrs. Can't Be Asked, sometimes you'll get Mr. Nice, mm-hmm. sometimes, you mm-hmm. know. And the, like, I got this guy when I went in, and, and I think I had an attitude when I went in. Uh, they went, what, what is your career, Mr. Yuri? And I was like, I want to be a pop star. Mm-hmm. And, the, and normally the answer would be like that. <sighs> right, well. Uh, but this guy went, 
really? And I went, aye. And he went, what do you mean? And I went, oh well, this guy's taking me seriously. Well, I, I play piano and I sing sometimes and I'd love, I play guitar, I'd love to do something like that. And he went, well, actually, I've just had a leaflet through this morning um, from Perth College. They've started this rock music course. And I went, what? R rock music and HN C H N D and rock music. I went, you've got to be kidding me, Owen. What? So he gave me this leaflet and I went home to my mum and dad and went, this thing. And you had to audition for it. So I went, well, hold. So I phoned up and got an audition. And we went up to Perth and I went in and it was this. Uh, you ever seen the film Fame, James? Aye. It was. It was uh, my sister used to watch it. I never, but it was all right. Hey, I never watched it. Start with a t-shirt on. See, honestly, <laughs> see the amount of taxi drivers uh -huh. right they go. Oh, you're that, uh, you're that guy out of River City, aren't you? I don't watch it. I don't watch that. She watches it. I don't watch it. When's Scarlett getting out of jail? So I went for an audition at this uh, this music college, and. Uh, to my surprise, I got in, and it was, uh, so I had to move to Perth. So I'd never been to Perth, I didn't know where Perth was. So they moved there, I was 19 years old. Oh my God, what a riot, absolutely loved it. Um, you got put into a band with other students, mm -hmm. you wrote music, you, you got to work with uh, sound engineers that were on a, another course. Uh, so you did writing, you did uh, rehearse, and, and the exams were in a pub. You did a gig as the exam, and this I was like that. I can't believe I've found that this is perfect. This love. is exactly what I want to do. So I went from failing all my exams at the school to after uh, uh, two years at this course, I've won a trophy for coming oh, top. You know, amazing! So I'm like, oh, I can't you know I've succeeded at something. Um, so that kind of once I left college, I moved down to Glasgow and thinking, well, you know, I'll be a pop star. Uh, but that, that that wasn't happening. But I got to do backing vocals with a lot of people, so I did a lot of session singing in the nineties. Um, so there's a run rig album where I'm doing the backing vocals, uh, and I was I worked with a singer called Horse. I don't know if you've ever heard no, of Horse. Yeah, Check Horse out. Horse is incredible. Yeah. Um, and people like Carol Lola and uh, who else did I work with? A, a, a songwriter called B. A. Robertson, yeah. who it's about you're ten, James, aren't you? You're a wee boy. I'm just saying uh, all these references you I like that much about mate. Major. I don't I know. Mate, I Steph don't. will know he's in his 70s. Is he? Do you remember B.A. Robertson? Do you remember B.A. Robertson? Robertson? No, right. He wrote uh, The Living Years for Making the Mechanics. Oh, great song. Right. Great so song. He wrote that. So I ended up working with him as well. Uh -huh. So he got me in doing back and balls. And the, be the best, that's a quick story, right? The best thing about that was um, he was recording his own versions of songs he'd written for other people. So he'd written things like 11 Years for Mike and the Mechanics. Mm -hmm. He'd written a load of Cliff Richard songs and, and stuff like that. So he phoned me up, uh, God, about 10 years ago and said, uh, can you come and do backing vocals on uh, my album? I was like, I, I all right, I. And he said, it's, uh, it's in London. I went, oh, okay. And he said, it's, uh, so I've got, I've got the studio booked for the 1st of March. And I went, oh, that's my, 40th birthday, I've got plans, I can't do it. And he went, oh, all right, okay, that's a shame. Well, do you know anybody else that could come down? And I went, well, I started thinking about a few phones. I went, what studio is it? And he said, Abbey Road. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Now, I'm a Beatles obsessive, right? And Abbey Road is where they recorded all their albums. So I dropped the phone, picked it back up again and went, right, never mind what I've got planned for my forest. I'll come and do it, right? I'll come and do it. So um, uh, fly down on the Saturday morning. It's my birthday. There's three other people with me, three other singers with me. Um, And get picked up at the airport and driven to Abbey Road. And now, I was so obsessed with the Beatles that when George Harrison died, I went down to London and sat outside Abbey Road Studios with loads of people with guitars mm-hmm. singing while my guitar gently weeps mm-hmm. and greeting. Do you know what I mean? I'm really, really a mad Beatles fan. And uh, so I got down there and I'd always looked at this door to this studio and imagined what it must be like in the other side of this door. That's where all that magic music that I, that, that I was obsessed with as a kid and I still love. That's in that door is where all that was made. So to get to go through that door was incredible. So we went in, right? And the, the other singers that were with me were all kind of like finding me amusing the fact that I was getting so excited about this. So and, and I went, they said, can you sit in reception? Somebody will come and get you. And so I wandered off on my own and I started wandering down the corridors and there was pictures of the Beatles albums all down. Started greeting James, right? Mm-hmm. Started like, can't believe I'm in here, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and this wee old guy came out and he saw me greeting. He went, are, are you all right? And I went, there's the Beatles and <laughs> and John must have stood there and, said, oh my God. and he went come with me so he led me into this room and it was a wee control room and went through a door and there were stairs down into Abbey Road Studio 2 which is where the Beatles basically lived and he said this is where they recorded everything and he said it's not changed since the 60s it's all the same pianos, all the same instruments come and have a look, so he took me around and showed me all the pianos. I got to play the piano from Obladi Oblada. Uh, I got to, so then everybody else arrived in, and that's the studio we were recording in on my fortieth birthday. So mm. we, we we did all the work, and then it got to tea time, and they said we're all going out for some tea. And B. A. Robertson said to me, "Do you want to just stay in here on your own and play the piano?" And I'm like, "Ah, yeah, that's amazing." So they went away to the canteen for some tea and left me in this room with Paul McCartney's grand piano, and I sat and I sang "Let It Be" and "Hey Jude." And all that stuff, tears rolling down my face, going, I can't imagine a better birthday present wow. than to to do this. That's a great party, oh, party, isn't it? Just, just absolutely. Incredible. Would you think the best Beatles song if you were to pick one stands out for you? Oh man, um, the best Beatles song. Let it be is a good one, but it's a stutter, but. Uh, my favourite Beatles song, I think, is probably something like it's probably a George Harrison song. It's probably something that uh, comes to sun. Yeah, probably. What about you, Steph? Aye. Aye. Oh. Aye, but oh, I didn't go again. Get into trouble for Steph's in a band, by the way, he loves his music. Here comes the sun. Doo-doo-doo. Here comes the sun. I say, 
It's alright. Do 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 it comes the sun, I say, it's alright. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, yeah. So, no, I mean, you asked me tomorrow, I'll have a different favourite Beatles song. Yeah, some chanter, Tom, I give you that. It's funny, but as well, the people who write the songs don't get the recognition as well. Because I was speaking to a woman, Anne, last week, who was saying a man from Coat Bridge, or Hamilton, wrote Angels for Robbie Williams. Aye, seen a guy never get the record. Is that maybe a no, guy no, in a pub going no, 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 no. He wrote the song for Robbie Williams' Angels. Was it not and Guy it, Chambers that wrote that? No, all right. No, so there you go. Allegedly, James. Alleg- no, that's that's a, a good source. All right. Was that true? Yeah, Aye. So a guy from Coat Bridge Hamilton wrote the song Angels and it totally transformed their lives. That guy still, he, he, he get paid for it, but no, obviously as much as right. oh, you better say allegedly after that mate allegedly right. allegedly right. no I, I, so who's got credit for it Guy Chambers and Robbie Williams no well, allegedly allegedly I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that folks Tom Yuri you heard it first no, we'll edit that out so he says it <laughs> no that's brilliant um, but I also seen because I, I knew you were coming on I wanted to get into your musical stuff and I seen you on stage so 6,000 people you were saying Glasgow Green <sighs> how was that was that opera it was opera, right? So, I had, uh, you know, I've lost a wee bit of weight. Yes, 20 stones. I, I 20, 19, <laughs> 20 for, for argument's sake, yeah. right? Um, I had, wh- when I was at my heaviest, I couldn't do anything, right? right? All I could do was phone pizzas and play Candy Crush Saga. I was, mm-hmm. I was just, that was me, stuck. So, when I lost all this weight, I started discovering things that, uh, that I hadn't done since I was a teenager. You know, things like... Um, go for a big walk or, you know, get out of my chair without crapping myself, you know, all that kind of mm. stuff. And I thought, I'm going to make a list of 10 things that were impossible for me that are now possible and I'm going to do them no matter how mental they seem. So I had uh, get a tennis lesson because when I was in River City, they did a comic relief tennis match and Judy Murray came out to teach everybody tennis and I couldn't join in because it was too big. Right. So I sat watching, I think I was the honorary ball boy or something. So I wanted to do that again. I wanted to get a proper tennis lesson. So I did. Uh, and Judy Murray came and gave me a tennis lesson Amazing. at the Western Tennis Club. And so that felt brilliant. Another thing was uh, cycle around Millport. So I went and did that with John Beatty, the DJ from Radio Scotland. Um, another thing was I wanted to do a fashion shoot for the paper because my I had so many insecurities about clothes and about the way I looked and all that kind of stuff. I was petrified about it. So I wanted to do things that scared me. So rather than say, I want to go in and buy a pair of jeans that fit me, I went, I said, I want to go in and buy a pair of jeans that fit me, but I want to be in the paper wearing them, going, mm-hmm. look, I can fit in a pair of jeans. So I did a fashion spread for the Daily Record, um, and I kind of thought they would do a kind of James Bond tux kind of yeah. hey, thing, but they, they made me fun dad at the beach, <laughs> with a beach ball and pink shorts. And right, all right. But what a hoot. Uh, so I got a personal shopper, took me around Brayhead and chose things for this. So I did that. Another thing was, um, oh, what else was that? A skiing lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was me and Jonathan Watson went uh, and skied at the dry ski slopes at Bears Den, mm-hmm. um, which I did for about half an hour and then went, right, well, skiing's not for me, but I've done it. And another thing was uh, I wanted to 
go uh, fit in a plane seat because I couldn't fit in an aeroplane seat. The last time I'd flown was in 2010 and I went to Canada and everybody else in the plane was hating me, mm-hmm. you know, obviously because I was the big fat guy in the plane and uh, I couldn't fit in the seat and I had to go for a slash mm-hmm. at one point and I thought I was never going to get back out the toilet because every, I filled every cubic mm-hmm. inch of this uh, yeah. aeroplane toilet. So last, uh, two weeks ago I did that, I fitted in a plane seat and I put the seatbelt on without mm-hmm. having to ask for the extension because you very subtly ask a stewardess, can I get a seatbelt extension because I'm mm-hmm. quite fat? And they go, okay. And then they come back walking down the aisle with it like that, bright orange yeah, seatbelt yeah. extension. Who is it that wants <laughs> And the whole crew are going, this one. Yeah. So I got in, sat down, fastened the seatbelt and went, oh my God, mm-hmm. that's incredible, that's incredible. And so another thing was uh, stand and sing because I couldn't stand up and sing at the same time when I was at my heaviest. I was always behind a piano. Uh, if I stood up, I could only stand for about 30, 40 seconds before my back was in agony and before I couldn't breathe and have to sit back down again. So when I was singing, I also had two inhalers on the piano, had the, the brown one and the blue one, uh, just couldn't breathe. So I'd be singing, uh, I'd sing a line of a song, gasp in between the lines. So I went, I want to stand in front of a band and sing. So I thought, um, maybe a school orchestra or something, you know. Uh, but I had said, I'd put all this on Facebook, as you know, I spill my whole life on Facebook, I'm never after it. Um, and Radio Scotland phoned up and went, would you want to come and do this bucket list on the Kay Adams programme and, and we'll, we, we, we can help organise things? I went, right, okay. said, so, well, this singing with the orchestra thing, um, how do you feel about doing BBC Proms in the Park with the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra? And I went, aye, all right, um, okay. They went, we'd like you to sing uh, Ness and Dorma. And I went, Pavarotti's Ness and Dorma. And they went, uh-huh. And I went, I can't sing opera. What are you talking about? Opera's a completely different thing from any other kind of singing. You go into training for years. Uh, there's n- I've, I've never even really listened to any opera. So uh, I went, I can't do that. I just look like an arsehole. They went, look, we'll get, you, we'll get you some coaching. We'll get you four weeks of lessons and we'll do you a crash course. Surely you can do one song. So I, I thought, ah, fuck it, okay, right, I'll do it. So I went and got uh, opera training from this wonderful uh, opera singer, uh, teacher called Anna, and uh, it, was, it was so hard, it was so difficult, because it's almost like learning to breathe differently and learning to stand differently. So instead of, instead of going, ah, you have to go, Ah, you know, so it, it's mm-hmm. and you, that's from a different part from what you would normally sing. So and also it was in Italian, um, <laughs> so which I can't speak Italian. So I was like, I just listened to it and, and I was hearing all these incredible versions of this song and going, I, I can't even begin to think about doing this. It's going, and then I found out it was going to be in the telly, and I went right. Well, this is going to be one of these YouTube things. Uh, it will go viral for being the worst version of Ness and because I thought about that last note of it right? and I thought I'll go Vincero and it'll be like oh check this idiot out so uh, I so I, 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 I've never had a suit really mm. I've, I've you know and, and they went oh you need to you need to get a tux and everything and, like, oh, and I was skin a lot of money right so my pal Janie Godley who's a comedian uh went, right, I'll buy you a suit. I'm going to buy you a suit. Oh, right, okay. So she took me to Slater's. It was hysterical. It was like going shopping with my mom. Um, and eventually got this really, really smart, swanky suit, patent leather shoes. 
And uh, so I got all ready to go and do this. And it was in front of, I think it was six or 7,000 people at um, Glasgow Green. And Jason Manford was in the bill and Claire Teo and, and all these like proper, proper people. And I just felt like a total tum shade, you know what I mean? I was just like, <laughs> and it came to it and uh, I absolutely whited it at the end. Because <laughs> I had, um, I got through it. I got through the, the song and uh, it's all right. If you watch it back, it's all right. It's not. It's good. It's, it's brilliant. Not, it's not it's an opera singer though. It's singing it in my own voice, right? Um, but it gets to the end, and you can see if you if you watch for it, right? It's, it's online somewhere. I, I sing the last note, and I've hit the last note, and I went, "Oh, thank God!" Well, I, I hit it. <laughs> right, I'm all right. So then I just felt this. What I can only describe as a whitey. Right? I just went. Oh, oh, oh man! And I was just like, they were clapping, and I was like, so I just—you can see me trying to walk off stage like that. I just turned into rubber man. What to say? Collapsed into my pal Jackie's arms and went, oh my god, I'm not doing that again. It's like bungee jumping. Jack, that's your story. Nerves building up through the weeks. Aye, but also you're putting your—you're standing there in front of people, and folk—you know—folk were like. You know, folk were wanting me to do well, but yeah. that is this clown after River City thinking he can. Aye, you know. judging. And uh, one of my one of my things that I've that's helped me with, with all this life changing stuff is taking people's negativity mm-hmm. and trying to turn it into and use it. But listen to me, you're speaking. That's where the law of attraction will come into play as well. Mm-hmm. All the goal sets you've done, man, you've got to take a massive for achievement for that, Tom, because that is ticking every box, and you've set your mind to it, and that takes massive fucking strength. What you've done, man. So for anybody watching who are in a struggle, this is prime example that you can set goals, that you can change your life, and. What was the catalyst for you to change? What were you at your heaviest, first of all, Tom? I don't ever say. No, we never um, know. Because, Does it matter? Know, there's, no, there's reasons. There's right. reasons, right? Every time um, you see somebody on TV that's obese, right? Uh, it's treated like a joke, okay? Mm-hmm. So they always make them stand in their pants on a scale, mm-hmm. say what weight they are, and uh, if they go for a walk, there's a tuba playing in the background. ho, 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 ho. And it's always used to shame the fat person. Right. Right? This is, you're, you're a bad person for being this side. You're bad. What I realised through all this was, uh, I was that was a symptom as a, a result of my head being fucked. Right. Mm-hmm. So nobody would choose to be that size. Is my philosophy. Nobody would choose to end up stuck there. What's going on? What's going on in my head to make this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, I made the decision not to say what weight I was to right. anybody, and I still don't. I say what I've lost because that's almost like a positive direction to be mm-hmm. talking about. So Instead of the negatives. So you can do the sums and figure out yeah, roughly yeah, yeah. what I was, but, um, and, and eventually one day I might say, but I don't want to. No, 100%, it's working for you. But what the, the, I, I realised that I suffered from depression and anxiety, and this is a hot topic at the moment because it people is. have started to talk about this, and it's vital yeah, people talk about because it. Because at the moment, seventy-five percent of suicides in the UK are male. Right, seventy-five percent is the number one killer in the UK, but it isn't as spoke about as the way we should be speaking about it. Because again, I've spoken about it in many in this show. As men, we don't speak about our feelings and emotions. We suppress them all, and that's where all the addictions came from. So we yeah. spoke about it earlier. I battled with obviously drugs, gambling, all yeah. the bullshit because we suppress it. So that is the number one killer. But for you to change your well, life, well, no, absolutely. Because but what I had to realise, and what because I'm also I'm an, a recovering alcoholic, huh. recovered alcoholic, whatever mm-hmm. you want to say. But I've not had a drink for nearly seventeen years. Well, as well done, man. That's amazing. Um, so there's a pattern of addictive behaviour with me. So. 
the it's almost like the the alcohol addiction was transferred over to food. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't just eating uh, a pizza because I was a greedy bastard. Mm-hmm. I was a greedy bastard, but um, it was a replacement. It was an addiction almost. It was it was filling the pain. It was filling the black hole. Um, and the only way I could stop feeling utterly distressed was to shove stuff in my mouth. So when I started figuring out that um, I was suffering from depression and anxiety, which ten even 10 years ago, James, people were still going, well, that just means you're a nutter. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to admit that I'm a nutter, you know. And my, my doctor had said to me, would you consider going on antidepressants? And I was like, no, because I'll be a zombie. I didn't understand what antidepressants yeah. were, okay? I do now. Um, so it was almost like uh, as soon as I started realising that I had a problem up here and a problem where uh, I never attempted suicide uh, and I never even considered it, but I had suicidal thoughts, okay? And that is the that's the thing that scared the living shites out of me because um, they, it's almost like a, an electrical spark comes in and for a fleeting second you go, everyone would be happier. And the world would be a nicer place if I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. And it's a reality for you. You feel that, you think 100% that that's true. So when uh, that thought comes in, I was well enough, I think, to to be scared by that and to to, to start talking about it and going, holy shit, I've, this thought has jumped into my mind. That's terrifying me more than anything. But even just a fleeting glimpse of what that is, made me kind of slightly understand why somebody would go and do that. And it's not a depression. The more, the more people are talking about it, James, the more people are learning about it. And that's what I think is important. So um, depression, I always thought was just somebody being sad. Mm. And it's not, it's it's actually an inability to see any, any good, Aye, you know? Yeah. And so you, you could be sitting, um, the way to try and describe depression to somebody that's never suffered that you could be sitting there like this, right? <sighs> right. And then before you know it, it's Thursday and you've been sitting since Monday. You know, having not done it? Haven't mm-hmm. opened the door? Uh, there was one time I, I I hadn't unlocked my storm doors from one Saturday to the next Saturday and realised. Um, and anxiety is just, you just want to get off the planet. Sometimes with anxiety, it's a physical thing that can just punch you in the stomach. When depression and anxiety collide, you're fucked. Aye. You're fucked, you know. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
so if depression and anxiety collide and there's a suicidal spark comes in at that point, holy shit. So what what I was trying to figure out last week with the Scott Hutchison stuff, right, which everybody, I, I don't know anybody that wasn't wrenched by that, you know, mm -hmm. just, just, it's, where do you, how do you spot it? How do you spot it with somebody? If you've got a friend that is starting on that journey, how do you spot it? Are there signs? Um, when do you take somebody seriously and when do you, you know, I don't know. It's such a touchy subject. I don't know. To get people, I, I think people can hide it for so long and I think, I'll, it's not just, I would say there's a high percentage of people are in pain. We're all in fucking misery. We've all got battling some sort of demons. I think it's, it should be getting taught it for maybe schools now to be honest, to be open, Aye. to speak about your problems, because the time you get a certain age, man, the numbers are dropping massively, and it's people you wouldn't expect of. Even your Robin Williams, even the the fact that, example. yeah, the, the, the laughter and the jokes, that is a mask, it's a, a cover-up to, to cover your pain, and I think as if the, the more you try and help other people, it's really, it's you that needs the help. And well, it's the talking, I think, is helping, because people are now beginning, so um, what I'm saying about is if somebody is feeling like that, how do you spot it? I think the, the way you spot it is by getting more experience of what that feeling is. Mm -hmm. So the more people you talk to about it, especially guys, you know, if guys, especially West of Scotland guys, mm -hmm. they will know that will not go to the doctor if their head's hanging off, do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I was trying to think of, is there some sort of almost like, a, uh, Ruby Wax has started this with the frazzled cafes, right. uh, meetings without an addiction. Mm -hmm. So uh, not, not even a 12 step program, but meetings where people can go, and talk so uh once a week you could go and sit in a in a church hall or something and, and you would just go around and, and share how you're feeling and i don't know if that would work but sharing one-to-one -one with people is is really really important but if you're stuck in the house and your fortress walls are up how do you reach out to somebody and i, I don't think the the mental health resources are there at the moment for to, to be able to go and and find an access point to get that help i don't think it's i think it's there but i don't think it's uh the the demand that the supply isn't there for the, the yeah. demand and i think it, everything I'll, i say it all the time but everything is the mindset it is how you perceive things and i think a lot of, i don't know if social media can come into play a lot of people look at everybody else's life and think they've got a great life watching them shows who's who's 100 percent real on social media absolutely fucking nobody do you know what i mean everything's photoshopped they've got a great life managed. yes but yeah. It's so it's controlled. It's controlling the masses. I think it's like I don't know how many people are on social media. A billion, two billion people. It's a lot of people, mm -hmm. and everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses. They're trying to show that they've got this massive life. If you've got a great life, you don't really need to post about it all the time either. But as kind of we feel good about it. If you're putting a message across and we're doing a good fit, then that's good. But I think if you can, because the first hour you wake up in the morning is your hour you're most creative. And every morning, as soon as I wake up, right on the phone, I'm flicking through Instagram, I'm flicking through Twitter, I'm flicking through Facebook, and I'm thinking to myself. Shit, I know I'm doing it, but I can't fucking stop. Oh. Do you know what I mean? So I, I don't know if that's got a big play. Because I don't think, I think the record, I don't think the suicides have been so high ever. I think this is a massive. I know. I uh, hate the problem. But it's because, because you know, uh, when, when it touches somebody's life. So uh, like, um, Scott, everybody knew mm -hmm. Scott's music and, and you know, feel, felt ownership in Scotland of somebody like that. Like, um, even back to. Billy McKenzie and, and people like that, you know, uh, it feels like one of your own. So when you hear about somebody far off in Hollywood doing it, mm -hmm. even, even Robin Williams, you know, you, you hear about it and, and it's it's one step removed. Mm -hmm. But when you hear about your brother's pal or when you hear about uh, 
a, a woman you knew and, and you go oh my god I had no idea mm-hmm. I had no idea they were in this mm-hmm. much pain and I suppose one of the, the, the things is you do wear a mask and you do as tears of a clown mm-hmm. you do you do pretend you're alright and I did a lot of that I did a lot of pretending I was fine mm-hmm. but I clearly wasn't because it is heartbreaking and, and I think if we just I think the more people become open the more people become honest then if people go even though they might not feel like talking but they go mm-hmm. oh wait a minute he's had that problem I didn't know that yeah. so I think if, if people just keep track you've got to become a better version of yourself I'm mm-hmm. constantly working on me just last week two weeks ago I went my first time for CI psychologist um, mm-hmm. Angela Trainer, who works in the Harvest Clinic um, give a wee shout out Angela uh, and that was the first time because I'm in a good place I'm doing good things but I still feel as if there's rooted problems there that I don't mm-hmm. want to that ever pop up and then I, I go back to the old James because that old James is scary I'm yeah. not getting any younger either do you know what I mean? So I want to keep in this path and I want to get everything out and open and be honest. So when I'm talking on the podcast, because a lot of people listening now and a lot of people are messaging who yeah. maybe aren't in a good place and going, I didn't know you felt like that. I didn't know you had those problems, Aye. but I did. And everybody has got problems and it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be upset. It's a human emotion, but don't fucking live there. You can get help. And I'm not a doctor and I'm not saying pharmaceutical drugs are away, but if you're suicidal and drugs can help you come back a couple of steps to maybe stop you in a way yeah it does numb your pain in a kind of way but if it can help you in that way then great well no i, I well i absolutely but i do i, I do say that, that medication can help in, mm-hmm. in certain cases and it did help me i got on antidepressants for a while and anti-anxiety medication which i don't use anymore mm-hmm. but it's still in the bathroom cupboard yeah. just in case in fact, i know it's there it's all right but uh, it can pull you back from a desperate situation by changing the chemicals in your brain mm-hmm. temporarily so it's mm-hmm. enough for you to be able to go Oh right, how do I sort this? Mm-hmm. How do I sort this? Um, but I think that the the answer is, and what we've been talking about, the more people talk about this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the more the solutions will start to appear. I think because mm-hmm. people have a better understanding of mm-hmm. depression and anxiety. Um, because ten ten years ago, if you'd said I'm off work with depression, people would go, get on with it, mm-hmm. for goodness sake. Man up. Now, and now people man up. Mm-hmm. People now go, fuck. How can I help? What's mm-hmm. wrong? What caused it? is there something that happened or is it life circumstances or is it maybe none of that is it maybe a, a thing but uh, no, it's just the mindset it's the way you can it's the way you, it's the way you perceive things it's the way you look at things I think a lot of people are looking at the things maybe they haven't got instead of the things they have got as long as we've got air my lungs we've still got a life and we've still I think you need a why as well where you need something to focus on. I think a lot of people are going to work, waking up in the morning and fucking hating life. They hate their job. They hate their environment. You're going into an office. You're working for eight pound an hour. Everybody's hating life because deep inside that gut, they know they ain't striving towards. Is that what brought on this planet to? To be sitting there, and if you can enjoy it, then so be it. I'm not just saying people working in office is a bad job, but if you look at the, the, the environment they're in, they're stuck in that fucking small box. Everybody's nitpicking and moaning and hating each other. They're going to come back in your drain because everything's energies. Everything's kind of connected in a way. Yeah. And I and I and I feel at my best. My big pal Barry Peacock is a personal trainer. We go up the mountains and we either run or we walk. And see, every time we come back, we feel connected again. We feel good. We feel away from all the. Like the matrix kind of thing. The, yeah. The, the, the so you're you're using that, but sometimes uh, to to feel good. Uh-huh. But uh, a lot of times, an easier way to feel good would be to drink a two liter bottle of yeah. juice, or uh, you know, a two for one pizza, mm-hmm. or, you know, and I've smoke a quite, joint, I smoke a joint, or have a pint, or uh, any of that can mm-hmm. take a pill. Any of that kind of stuff to immediately make yourself feel good. So I think the answer 
of replacing the stuff that's killing you mm-hmm. by stuff that, that gives you the same good feeling yeah. but is actually good for you is probably mm-hmm. a, a good thing. Because if you're eating good, Tom, you're also feeling good. If you're kind of eating, because what happens is when the body digests that, it sends chemicals to the brain, which is Aye. a feel-good factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I'm, I've, I've said it, and I fucking says it again, but if, if I go along Saracen Street in Poso, it is uh, Chinese, it's chip shops, it's pizza shops, it's bookmakers, it's pubs. Mm-hmm. So how can you get that environment? How can you change that mindset if you're living in that fucking misery? Because you're constantly eating shit and then you're drinking, you're... We're constantly searching for that. It's a cycle. It's a circle. Uh, yeah, that it's empty circle. void. To break out so to break away from that, and then you go right. Wait a minute, that's a very small box. Aye. So for me, the natural things in life is try to eat good, try to speak good as well, because the way you, the way you speak is the way you feel. Because a man for people to look up and Doctor Amoto, you can do the two, the, you can do the jam jar. Yeah, two, two well, jam jars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can get two jam jars, fill each jam jar with rice. Say I love you to one for thirty days, and I hate you to one for thirty days. So the one who says I hate you after thirty days is all black and blue and mouldy. The one who says I love you is still pure white. So the way you speak is the way you feel. Because you listen to people, including me, I, was, I talk shit and speak like shit sometimes. So if you speak shit, you feel shit. Mm. And that's something I'm trying to be more aware of and speak more clear. Mm-hmm. How did you know Dr. Amoto? I read the book. I yeah, the water uh, book. The water book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I met his interpreter through, I did a Reiki course with Lorna McLean. Um, and that's how I met her interpreter. They didn't explain it. When I were explaining it, it started, I was like, oh, that sounds a bit fucking crazy. And then we did it. And it, and I it did worked. Reiki as well. Yeah. Reiki one and two. Did you? Uh huh. Who was? Oh God, years ago. Oh, was it? Years ago. But I, I didn't do the masters, but mm. uh, I kind of got a little bit kind of with it because it became so kind of like uh, Siobhan and the hairdressers would be saying, I can do perms, I can do streets, and I can do Reiki. <laughs> aye, you know, aye, aye, aye. Uh-huh. the Reiki, uh-huh. and you're like that. It's becoming a bit odd and a yeah. bit kind of. So I kind of, but I mean, I. I it's something I would look at. Because you met my wee mom, my wee mom, Josie. Hello, hen. All right, Josie. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's your mom. I'm kidding. <laughs> Is uh, at the spiritual church. Aye. Oh. So, how was right. that? No, I, um, I, I love all sorts of hocus pocus. Mm-hmm. Right? I love all the spooky medium-y stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. So, for a while, I was getting addicted to going to the spiritualist church, mm-hmm. which is, uh, which is uh, mediums. You know, uh, so I uh, and that's where I met your wee more because mm-hmm. she was she was going to it as well. So what, a, what a woman! But I no, I think there's something in it, but I don't know what. Uh, I think a lot of people are at it, Aye. but I do I do have a couple of pals who are mediums who I think are are genuine and are doing stuff. But mm-hmm. for every one, there's a hundred that just go. Aye, frauds. Can you take a Margaret or mm-hmm. you know they'll they'll say. Can I come to you, sir? Have you got a great, 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 great grandfather in spirit? And they go, oh, how did you know they were dead? So I know, I kind of I love all that kind of stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know. Who knows? Never. Who I think knows I, yeah, if you're those people, things. like I say, you're kind of searching for that. Yeah. Are they fine? Are they okay? You're kind of looking for that wee product. But I think when somebody goes, it's you kind of get used to the pain. You kind of adapt it. You kind of adjust well, you absor- it. Well, you absorb it into yeah. your life. Like, uh, yeah. when, you lose a parent uh, it doesn't it, it actually doesn't get uh, less painful yeah. you just absorb it and uh-huh. you, you you change the way you feel mm-hmm. about it and it's alright but uh, you don't fully I don't want to sound like a downer but no, you don't no. ever fully go oh I don't care anymore. Yeah, no, yeah. you actually carry it with you for the rest of yeah, your of life of course yeah. how are you feeling now then with the weight loss and being off the you're doing amazing you're, I, I don't you realise do you realise how well you've done or do you kind of forget you kind of get used to it I think in about five years time James I'll look back on it and go uh-huh. oh wow but at the moment I still feel a bit 
mental. It's fucking um, unbelievable, 20 stone. That is unbelievable. Well, it's been so much of a short time that I actually sometimes feel a little bit stoned. Right. Because uh, my neurological system still thinks I'm a big giant guy. Mm-hmm. So if I stand up, my head will keep moving. You know? <laughs> uh, sometimes I'm walking down the street, I'll meander off to the side and uh-huh. uh, it's like, oh man, I just lost my balance there mm-hmm. because it's almost like getting on a new bike. Mm-hmm. It's almost like getting on a unicycle and learning mm-hmm. how to cycle it. So I'm in this completely different body now um, and it's le- learning to live in it uh-huh. and, learning, to, and mm-hmm. learning who I am now as well because it used to be, it was quite easy when I was that mm-hmm. size for work and stuff because mm-hmm. anytime there was a TV programme doing like, uh, an obesity storyline, I, I was seen for it, I was auditioned for it and it would always be the same five mm-hmm. fat actors from all around Britain. <laughs> <laughs> you, go, you go down to, go down to uh, Holy City, right? And you go in and the storyline was, oh, this fat guy, right? You go in, you sit there, go into the waiting room and it would be him from Nottingham and him from Liverpool and they like, all right, how are you doing? Oh, Whose turn is it this time to go the same five hours. But now if I'm going up for a role, there's 20 other folk, mm-hmm. all kind of like, kind of dad guy, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. 50, kind of, oh man, you know, I've, I've kind of opened up the uh, the competition now, so mm-hmm. I'm no, I'm no, uh, I've not got that going for me anymore yeah. in that room, but. But you've wasted your residence, you've, you've, you can do better things, you can do more things. How's your walking, everything healthy, your breathing? Walking's the best thing, I'll tell you uh, exactly about that. Um, what I didn't realise when I lost all this weight was that because my heart and lungs were working at 100% capacity for years, mm-hmm. they're, they're in really good shape mm-hmm. now. Because I, I get a lot of medical checkups and everything, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it a little bit. Um, so you, you're actually left with a heart and lungs that are as fit as the likes of Mo Farah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I can now walk for mm-hmm. miles. So I'm going to do the West Highland Way is my next thing. Brilliant. And that is, uh, is a direct... Um, response to the fact that I couldn't walk before so mm-hmm. I could walk for about uh, 15 seconds before I had to stop before at my worst so when I was in River City I had to actually get from the dressing room to the the main set was about uh, probably a two or three minute walk I had to drive so I was the only one that took my car onto the set and I used to drive and I used to you know everybody was lovely but I used to see their faces I used yeah. to see them going so he needs to do something he mm-hmm. needs to get help, he needs to do something because this is ridiculous. So as a response to that, I want to do the West Highland Way, which is mm-hmm. walk a hundred miles over mountains. That's amazing. I know, just to prove to myself and also to, to people that were worried about me yeah. that uh, I, I can do it now, it's all right now. I mean, but I haven't, I haven't. that's one of the last items on my bucket list mm-hmm. is to go and do that. And uh, people keep saying they want to do it with me, but I'm too mm-hmm. crabbit, James. Yeah, morning, I'm yeah, too yeah. crabbit. I need, I, they would hate me. But uh, no, uh, I can walk for miles now and it's an absolute joy because I couldn't do it for mm-hmm. so long. So it's kind of like getting the keys to Disneyland. Yeah. So I'll maybe once we finish here today, I'll maybe it's just wander off and see where the day's following the sun. Not only you're doing this for yourself, but other people are watching, Tom, who are in a rat, who maybe have battling drink or obesity because it's a major problem as well. It's on the rise. And it is. The thing with obesity, James, is that... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. See, when you're that size and when you're trapped, because it is trapped, you know, yeah, yeah. no matter how you think somebody's got to that point, there are, there are reasons. I'm not saying that everybody who is obese hasn't, shouldn't take responsibility mm-hmm. for, for where they've mm-hmm. been or what they've eaten or, or their inability to exercise. Everybody's story is different. But when you're that size, you don't have a voice mm-hmm. because you you just think everybody's going to think you're stupid mm-hmm. or moaning or uh, a lot of the times I didn't have a voice because I couldn't get my breath yeah. as well. So what I'm seeing now is I get loads of messages through Facebook and through Twitter and through all that kind of stuff from people who are where I was mm-hmm. and I've got an understanding of how they feel and what they're going through. So I'll spend maybe half an hour every night answering all these things and, and talking to people and I've made loads of pals with people that are stuck in the house uh, or don't see any way out mm-hmm. um, and if if all if, if it only takes me half an hour of my day to just sit and yip to people and, and mm-hmm. say Here's some hope. it's possible aye it's I think possible. it's amazing what you've done mate and uh, see sorry before we go but see when you were uh, overweight did you feel people were you concentrating on other people how they're perceiving you or? all the time yeah still yeah do. yeah still uh-huh. do. all the time you don't need to because like I say you've done amazing things and another thing with the goal setting that you're writing down and visualising what you want to do and everyone you've achieved through the weight loss through singing and opera through what other ones were you? well yeah I mean yeah but what I'm doing is I'm, I'm setting these goals but I'm setting achievable small right. term yeah. goals yeah realistic I, I mean I'm not going to say mm-hmm. alright well I'm going to uh, no, I'm going to go and abseil down the the uh, the Empire State Building. Mm. I'm not saying things that I think are mental. I'm saying mm. things that I can see a direct path to. Yeah. So things like cycling around Millport, I know that I could organise that and go and do it, which mm. I did, right? But when I was in the state I was, that was impossible because there's nowhere to go on a bike. Mm. There's nowhere ahead of the energy. I wouldn't have been able to uh, walk to get there, uh, everybody would have been laughing at me, look at that elephant on a bike, that kind of stuff. Um, so I set myself goals that aren't mental. So I set myself, the, the, the West Island way seems a little bit mental, but I know that- You can do it. Can do it. You've lost 20 stone, you can do it. I know. So the other thing is that uh, I'm going to I'm gonna walk across the Sahara next year. Right. Um, but I researched how to do it, and I researched what it involves, and, and it's achievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to do it for a charity and it's all taken care of and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm setting myself achievable goals. So if you're 20 stone heavier than me at the moment, set yourself an achievable goal. Stone. Like walk down and back up the stairs mm-hmm. and that's a massive achievable goal. Did you read it, Tom? Was it any books or that you read or that changed your mindset and changed, right, I'm going to do this and, and set your mind to say, fuck it, I'm doing it and you've done it? Because a lot of people love the thought of change, but as soon as they do it, two, three days, they're back to old habits because it's too fucking hard. Do you know, not really, James. I read a lot. I read all the same stuff you do, uh-huh. you know, and I read a lot of that, and all of it helps, but I think it was talking to people and uh-huh. um, figuring it out. And, and just, you know, I, I thought, what, what was I? I mean, I'm 49 now, right? And uh-huh. I thought, well, if I stay at this, that's me. I've got a couple uh-huh. of years, maybe. Uh-huh. 
Whereas now I'm like that. Well, I could conceivably live as long as it yeah, exactly as long as you choose. Yeah. So I, I've, you know, so it just it just came to the point where I was like, "What am I going to do?" And I mean, I got surgery. I got a gastric yeah, yeah. bypass. So that mm. was the catalyst for doing it as mm. well. And that that's important to take the stigma from that as well because a couple of people have said to me, "You look amazing. How did you do it?" And I say, "Well, I got a gastric bypass." And they go, "That's cheating." And I go. Saved your life. It's not a game. It's uh-huh. not a game, right? You uh-huh. see how desperate I was. A simple thing. And it's not a magic wand. That can help, right? So that probably helped get me out of the terrifying place I was in. But the rest of it is exercise and mindset and mm-hmm. change and health and all that kind of stuff. So, I'm, I, I, you know, everybody's got a different journey they take. Everybody's got a different path mm-hmm. and a different solution. But... Um, there's, there's no situation you can be in where there's no hope, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think discussion uh, about obesity without a tuba playing in the yeah. background, you know, just just listen to there's someone. Always hope, there's always hope, there's always belief. And Tom's a prime example. And, and you've got a great story, mate. And what you've achieved so far, I think it's unbelievable. And I wish you all the best for the future, man. Thanks, James. And, and really, thanks for coming on today, mate. Yeah, I really, on, really mate. appreciate it, man. It's been a great podcast. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. Boom! But all right. Podcast Network.